Empire podcast this week where you have the greatest hat trick since Peter Crouch scored with his left foot, right foot and head against Arsenal. We're joined this week by Deadpool himself, Ryan Rodney Reynolds, the stars of Zoolander 2, Owen Wilson and Ben Stiller and BAFTA host and walking encyclopedia Stephen Fry. And if you've been keeping score, you know there's actually four guests making this the greatest haul since Luis Suarez scored four against Norwich. All that and more on the podcast with the longest intro ever, so I'll stop right now. Hello Pod, I'm Chris Hewitt. Welcome to the Empire Podcast this week. I'm joined by two colleagues of such lethal cunning. No Emma or Helen this week, so it's time for a big old sausage party. Uh, first up is our rage fueled junior online writer, John Junior Nugent. Uh, whose career will he try to destroy this week with his with his bile and infective I'm on tenterhooks. Who is it? Who is it, Jay Nuge? Nobody. I don't. I don't want to kill anyone's career. Yeah. I'm. I'm like. I feel like this podcast is like Kerber enthusiasm, and I'm Larry David. You know, just I try and go through life, and mm-hmm. just things go wrong for me somehow. You I don't s- know. Your hair is so much better than Larry David's. Ah, oh, thanks. Mm. Give it time. Uh, and last but not least on the podcast is a new face and a new voice. We've had so much new blood in the podcast recently that we are toying with rebranding. Uh, it's Friday the 13th, part 7. It's a joke about the subtitle of that film. Uh, please welcome Empire's brand new deputy editor, Jonathan Pyle. Hello, Chris. How are you, Johnny? I'm very well. I'm very well. Good, good, good. See, when I introduced you with your, your proper name and then it went immediately to the, the, the shortened version, the nickname. Because yeah. that's what we'll be calling you over the uh, the pod. Over the Johnny's what we're calling me. Johnny's what we're calling you. I feel that's right. It's like a Zoolander two, Zoolander yeah. number two thing. In, it is written down. I'm number two. But you're, yeah. Jonathan. <laughs> Your email is Jonathan, but we know you as Johnny. Yeah. How are you? Um, I'm all right. We went out last night as a as mm-hmm. a big team, and it was a fairly late one for some of us. Yeah. But I've uh, I've come through. Yeah, it early was a rise early in for the podcast, and it's been fine. I know. I'm, I'm actually amazed by your professionalism. Thank you very uh, much. I left karaoke at nine. If anyone knows anything about me, I, I I usually have to be dragged away from karaoke. But as you can probably hear, I have a cold, so therefore I you left me hanging as well. I know. Cause we had I, two songs queued up that we were going to do together. I know. I had to do uh, "It's the End of the World as We Know It" with the uh, with the publisher. Really, me and Liz did it. How did that go down? Uh, she hogged the mic really. <laughs> she's, she's, she's amazing at that, like the really like hard bit, the jelly bean boom, all that stuff. Uh-huh. She knows it off by heart. Really? Yeah, really. Our good. publisher's a big REM yeah, fan. Apparently so. This well, is I mean, amazing. It might just be her era. This is amazing because uh, Johnny is the the only person I've ever met who's a bigger REM fan than me. You are you're a huge REM fan. You, yeah, you, massive, you massive, collect massive, massive. like everything. You've been to probably more gigs than I have. Uh, f- fewer than you would think, actually. Okay, but um, but you are you're a hardcore collector. Yeah. Well, uh, I've I've got all the all the all the LPs. All the LPs <laughs> on good old what? old fashioned final. What's an LP? An LP. Oh my word! I forgot we had a youngin in the, <laughs> in the uh, podcast. LPs are back. Yeah. How do you not know what what final is, oh, John? That's right, Come on. Yeah. I'm not very cool. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Larry David wouldn't be into final, so don't worry about it. It's not too bad. Uh, righty ho. So we've got a lot to get through this week, including three guests. We've got loads of films to review and lots of stuff to talk about. So we're going to uh, start off with this week's question, uh, which acknowledges the fact that the most romantic day of the year is upon us. And I'm talking, of course, about BAFTA Day. <laughs> very, very exciting day for everybody. Uh, so the question's from at underscore Spurs. Uh, with Valentine's Day around the corner, if you could double date with one movie couple, who would it be and why? Mm, who wants to start? Well, I mean, I can start if you want. As it's a double date, I, I asked my wife about it. Actually, am I allowed to say I have a wife? Do I have to, <laughs> you are, you are allowed do I have to, to pretend that we're single for uh, all the fans out there? <laughs> I don't think so. I don't have to pretend that, so it's not an issue. Oh, oh man. Oh, man. John, I can see where the bile comes from. 
Uh, so, yeah, so I asked my wife about this, uh, right. who completely misunderstood the question. Okay. And uh, just told me she wanted to go on a date with Stanley Tucci. That's, that sounds fair. Yeah. So, um, then, you know, we reconsidered. Yeah. And uh, we actually want the Lincolns. Can I have Abe and Mary Lincoln? I just think, I just want to have a chat with Abe and Lincoln. It's because there's now a movie about them. Is that within what? the realms so the, the, of the, the question? Daniel Day-Lewis incarnation. Presumably you wouldn't want to go to the theatre with them, right? You would just... <laughs> I mean, he you would just to want to double a date. number of times. Only, only once did it go wrong. <laughs> That's true. I, I went to the theatre successfully 99 times. It's that one time people keep haranguing me about, my God, the Lincolns, wouldn't that be a bit dull? I don't think so. I think no. I... Think of the stories he'd tell. He wouldn't be able to talk about the only way is Essex or any of the stuff that's in the the, the popular press of the day. Um, well, possibly not. I mean, it depends what. I suppose. Yeah, are we going back to his time. <laughs> I don't know. Well, I mean, yes. Let's no, no. Okay, let's say he's coming to us. Right. He's coming. Okay. Where would you go? Where would you go? What would you do with uh, Abe Lincoln? Well, I mean, in uh, before I did this job uh, at Empire, I was um, something of. Uh, street food journalist as well so you know I think I'd probably take into my favourite street food hangouts maybe what when we would go to Hawker House <laughs> what does that mean what I just have images of you just walking up to burger fans and just going I'm a street food journalist mate and just reaching in and grabbing a burger going it's fine and flashing some sort of badge that you printed off the internet yourself I have a hat with press on it and <laughs> people just believe it old scoop Mackenzie here uh, you're a street food journalist that's that's pretty amazing for a, for a time yeah. for a time but um, you know I know some people in that community I think I think Hawker House is on now. That's the indoor street food. Thing. Okay. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, we'd go there and get some ribs. <laughs> there you go, Rape. Some ribs. You didn't have those in your day. I bet he did. That's all. That's all they would have eaten. Yeah. We're okay. coming. We're coming back to I think to the old style foods. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. That's a, I, I'd like to see that date. I'd like to triple date. That would be fun. Or do you feel at all undermined by your wife's immediate choice of Stanley Tucci? I was just baffled. She's never mentioned Stanley Tucci before. <laughs> I had no idea. Like, this is this is bonkers to me. See, I find there's something about Stanley Tucci. You, you pretty much, you ask any woman, you just mention his name to any woman. I mean, it happens to my wife, anyone in the office, any female in the office, Stanley Tucci, and the eyes glaze over. And they get this sort of beatific look in their face and just, mm, the tooch. Not even it's a just, woman, like men. I, if you I'm, mentioned I, was trying to, I was trying to mask it. My there we feelings. go. Yeah. 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 But it's, it's astonishing. The tooch. There's something about that guy. Uh, I hosted a screen of Deadpool recently and he was in the audience because he's friends with Ryan Reynolds. And um, I was just about to go on and do my shtick. Because I, do, you know, I have shtick. I don't know if you've noticed. You, you. Like, you know, I, I was going to introduce it. You know, it was a big. It was a group full of. It was a room full of Deadpool fans, and so I had like, you know, hey, this movie is for you guys, and it's the movie you've been waiting to see for ages, and it's got violence and swearing, and all, yay! And I was peeking through the door, like literally two minutes before I went on, and uh, I I saw this guy in the fourth row, and I went, that guy looks familiar. Oh my god, it's Stanley Tucci. What the hell is the Tooch doing here? Then I realised he and Reynolds are friends. I was like, okay, okay. So now I have to go on and you know basically go, hey, violence is cool in front of Stanley Tucci, and uh, I was just, oh god. So I, I looked everywhere but him because if I looked at him, I would just melt because he's a Tooch. He is the Tooch. He's, he's got the Tooch. He's got the power. <laughs> I found it amazing that those two are mates. Well, yeah, I'm sure they have a lot of shared interests. I mean. It's not quite as mental as um, Dale Winton and Graham Sooners being best friends. I'm, but I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> what? I've heard this. I have heard this. 
but but please and possibly from me in the past. <laughs> How did please that come elaborate. about? Please um, well, was doing a big supermarket. Yeah. <laughs> I don't I don't know why why they're friends. I do know that um, Graham Sunis was Dale Winter's best man at his wedding to Neil McAndrew. Was it Neil wow. McAndrew? I feel it was Neil McAndrew. I feel the third name might not. Well, subs to check, um, but <laughs> there was a, there was a copy joke in, <laughs> in there. One for all you publishing fans. <laughs> wow, that's amazing, and that's given me an idea. So, if you know of any other unlikely celebrity friendships, then do send them in to us. Uh, you, you know the, the address is now by now, hopefully. So it's it's podcast at Empire Online. If you want to email some stuff in, we're on Twitter as at Empire Magazine, and uh, we're on Facebook as Empire Magazine as well. So do send them in because I want to know more about. Unlikely celebrity friendships and amazing celebrity friendships. I mean, for one of the things that always, and I realise we're we're beating around the bush with ad spurs a question here, but and it, but this is a tale of love. I think this is a tale ultimately of love. So one of the things that blows my mind is that two of the greatest love songs of all time, the Beatles' uh, "Something" and, and Eric Clapton's "Wonderful Tonight," were written about the same woman, Patty Boyd. Right? Okay. So she was originally married. I'm going to Google her now. You Google her now. She was originally married to George Harrison. And then she left George Harrison for Eric Clapton, who was Harrison's best mate. Now, you would imagine that that would have split their relationship apart, caused a schism, an irrevocable schism in that friendship. No, George Harrison was Eric Clapton's best man at his wedding to Patty Boyd. Now, that, there's a lesson in there, I think, for all of us. Something about forgiveness and tolerance and awesome guitar playing. I'm sure we used to be a film podcast at one point. At some point, but... Um, Should we get back to the question? Johnny's arrival has uh, unleashed street food, Graham Souness, and now uh, a sort of digression about the, the Beatles, <laughs> which is something I'm always happy to digress about. Okay, well, about. I, I, have a, I have another... Um, Holy shit. Okay, go, movie go for couple, it. Which yeah. is um, Katniss and then the small fella from um, <laughs> Hunger Games. And I just want to, like, take her aside at one point during the meal and say, what are you thinking? There's a Hemsworth over there just waiting for you. Like, this is this is crazy. It's just this is this is beyond madness. The small, the small fella from the Hunger Games. Oh, we're going to get so Peter. many tweets about that now. We're going to get so many angry Hunger Games fans going. His name is Peter. I said Peter eventually when I remembered it. <laughs> so Josh Hutchison, little teeny tiny Josh Hutchison. Yeah. Uh, so you okay? You go on a double date. I think that'd be more interesting than going on a double date with Katniss and and big hunky Liam Hemsworth. Well, Hunger I would Games. certainly feel better about myself in the Peter date, but. <laughs> It'd be hard not to patronise him. Are you all right, Peter? Do you want the child's portion? Are you okay? We've got some. We've got a chicken burger coming your way. You could also do that thing, but it'd be fun going on a double date with him because you never know what he would disguise himself as. <laughs> so he'd be like, "Who ordered the cake?" And then he goes, "Aha! I am the cake." <laughs> what? In the Hunger Games, he disguises himself as a tree. Do not remember that bit? Does he? It's the one thing I remember I remember about the, the first film. He disguises himself as a tree? He has incredible powers of disguise. He's like this pistachio disguising. Film. Are we talking about the same film? We're yeah. talking about the first film. The first film in the Hunger Games, uh, he is elusive and deceptive. And I won't... <laughs> He literally disguised himself, maybe not as a tree, but as as a, a mossy, some mossy bark. He, he disguised himself as something, and he's overlooked because he has incredible powers of disguise. Oh, I think I yeah, remember I'm, this. I'm now. starting yeah. to remember this. Yeah. I think the tree thing really threw me. Yeah, I'm just picturing him with his arms out, you know, just like in acting class. Just. Yeah. <laughs> the you- thing is, I I took this question to mean it's not who is the greatest movie couple, but who would be the best couple to go have an evening with, and I think. Mm. 
Katniss and Peter would be pretty miserable. They're just they're quite weepy and and sort of solemn the whole time. I, mean, I don't think they. No, be I good. have an ulterior motive. It's just to split them up. Okay, and, okay. Like, just to make her see the error of her ways. Okay, I understand now. No, it's 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 <laughs> faultless logic. Yeah, I like it. I, I, like I see. It. I I was I would go for something a bit more like you, you want some stimulating dinner party conversations. So something like. Something like Jesse and Celine from the Before trilogy, you know, when they just yeah. talk about philosophy all evening, and we just sort of stroke our chins, and we might mean if we go on a double date with you. John. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds amazing. Well, forgive me for wanting a bit of intellectualism. <laughs> There's no place for that on the Empire Podcast. I've made that quite clear. Well, what about okay? What about Alan Grant and Ellie Sattler? And we can just talk about okay. dinosaurs. Now you're talking. Tonight. Yeah. Now you're. I don't think they're a couple anymore. She's remarried. She has remarried. So you'd have to pluck them from the time of Inde- uh, Independence Day. Oh, why not? You'd have yeah. to pluck them from the yeah, time they're of still Jurassic together, Park. <laughs> <laughs> still together, like the ninety-six. Uh, that'd, that'd be good. That'd I suppose if uh, if we're if you're letting me have Lincoln and Mary Lincoln, <laughs> then I suppose you can have nineteen ninety-three or ninety-six. Um, yeah. Alan Grant and Ellie Jurassic Sattler. Park Three isn't canon. Let's put it that yeah. way. Yes, it yeah. is. Mm. It, it it kind of is. It, but, yeah, it, it, yeah, it basically is. But. Yeah. For, for the purposes of my conversation, it isn't. I have an answer to this, but it's it's not. Yeah, because you're right, John. This isn't about the best movie couple. This isn't about that. So I'd love to go on a double date, and it doesn't have to be. I, for me, it doesn't have to be a male and female couple, for, or indeed even a romantically entwined couple. I'd love to go on a double date with uh, Andy Dufresne and Red from The Shawshank Redemption. I just think that'd be fun. Yeah, they'd be nice guys to hang out with for a little bit. That'd be that'd be cool. Uh, but otherwise, it's uh, John and Holly McLean for me because. You know, what the hell will happen to Valentine's Day? You know, everything goes wrong for them, no matter where they go. So at some point, some terrorists would try and attack them. You'd be in Nobu, and, you know, you'd be having a nice meal. And then Hans Gruber's fourth cousin would come in, filled with rage, and try and uh, mess up the evening. John McClane would fight back. That'd be quite fun to watch at close quarters. And then you could go, well, if this is what they do for Valentine's Day, i got to be here for Easter, and then so on and so on. (laughs) And Easter's like really close to Valentine's Day this year. <laughs> it's surprisingly early this year. It is surprising because you wouldn't have much time to recover. See, that's what Die Hard 6 should be about. Just every major holiday in John McLean's life. It's like Groundhog Day, but with, with guns. That'd be awesome. Not a um, Martin Luther King Day. <laughs> not again. Right. Not another Gruber. What's going on? <laughs> How big is this family? <laughs> Increasingly smaller once John McLean gets involved. <laughs> Right, okay, now we've ruined that question. Uh, <laughs> thank you. Once again, send in your questions to us uh, via the, uh, the, the, the means that I outlined earlier on, so Twitter, Facebook, and email. Uh, okay, time now for our first guests. In 2001, Ben Stiller directed Zoolander, a comedy about a male model who foils an international conspiracy with the help of his rival turned so hot right now best friend, played by Owen Wilson. The movie did pretty well, but over the years became a cult classic, which is why 15 years on, Zoolander 2, or Zoolander number 2, I'm a bit confused about that is Blue stealing its way into cinemas this weekend and once again it unites Stiller and Wilson as Derek Zoolander and Hansel we sent our very own really really ridiculously good looking John along to speak to them this week enjoy Ben Stiller Owen Wilson welcome to the Empire Podcast how are you both? good thank you good yeah uh, happy to be here and uh, thank you for having us thank you for being here it's a very good looking edition of the uh, Empire Podcast well uh, they won't be able to see us but uh, hopefully you'll be able to communicate what it was like uh, and I think you're off to a good start Um, (laughs) feel free to keep going because I know that just looking across at Ben 
He's looking pretty good today. Thanks. You're looking pretty good too. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah, yeah I think between us, we're looking pretty good. Um, ridiculously good. R- ridiculously good. Really, really, really ridiculously <laughs> good looking group right here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, all we need is Penelope Cruz to make it of, an actually really good looking. It's kind of great. Radio's podcast, whatever you want to call it, audio. Yeah. I'll just call it audio. It's yeah. uh, kind of great because you can use your imagination to just imagine how yeah great we all look really it's right. probably going to be better than reality but uh, yeah yeah depending on the strength of your imagination yeah um so on my count this is the 14th time you guys have worked together I'm well sure. you're missing actually you're missing 23 others okay because it's 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 actually 37 times 37 that times that we've worked together movies wow. in Spain that we did in Spain okay yeah. obscure there's one in Israel that we did yeah. which one? Uh, the one in Israel oh yeah, yeah. Uh, it was kind of a comedy that we did uh, there uh, is that ahead Blu-ray? of its time it's, um, pardon yeah. me is, is that available on Blu-ray uh, it's not. Uh, there's some legal issues uh, that are still being. It was a uh, Golan Globus production back in the '80s, so <laughs> still tied up with the, the lawsuits they had with Sylvester Stallone okay. back in the day. Well, I mean, we've got to we've got to have a retrospective on Criterion or something for these. Definitely, yeah. Criterion people have been calling, and yeah. it's just you know, it's just been so busy lately that we just haven't been able to make time. Do you, do you consider yourselves a double act, or, or I mean, you obviously you do. Well, I, we're we're sort of we're sort of thrust into those roles when we're doing these press junkets and we uh, develop a little shtick, a little patter uh, (laughs) where Ben, uh, he kind of plays the role of Don Rickles. I'll say some things and then he'll kind of undercut them. Well, it seems in this Uh, interview you've taken the role of Don Rickles. Well, just to mix it up. Straight uh, at me. Well, (laughs) I don't want to let you corner the market on snarky. Come on. (laughs) Okay, so who's who's Jack Lemon and who's who's Walter Matthau? In wow, this, I this probably references. am uh, Matthau, and Ben is a little bit more fastidious. I'm, of course, thinking of the Odd Couple. Mm-hmm. Uh, That's a nice reference for you. Do you think your podcast listeners will? Or do they? Oh, they're they're, an they're smart bunch. people. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that That's good. Nice, ben, right, let's like insult that. the uh, the audience <laughs> here. Yeah, they'd no, never heard really, of like. It was more of a generational of thing. I didn't think. I was yeah. saying they weren't smart. I was well, just saying that it's. Yeah, I, I, I feel like I'm of, old and I know Jack Lemmon. Yeah, yeah. better not make any Godfather references either. They probably <laughs> that, 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 the audience might have missed that too. Come on, well, let's, let's go listen, back. Listen, this is an intelligent group listening. Right. How about um, Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers? Uh, who's I would who? say well, Owen's definitely Ginger. Oh yeah, Ginger. Yeah. Uh, well, I, you know, can you talk a little bit about that? About in England, there is. Um, is there? It's not a prejudice against red-haired people, but but there's an awareness. They're they're called gingers. Is that right? Gingers, yeah. Gingers, yeah, yeah. And, and is or where ging- does that come or gingers. from? Gingers, gingers. Well, they <laughs> yes, are yes, called. Yeah. They are. They yeah, do yeah. Say gingers. No, that too. Yeah. Say gingers. Yeah. 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 Say gingers. And uh, <laughs> what is, what is that? Is that is it a is it uh, yeah. a term of endearment or is it a? How I would don't you... think it, it's a school ground bullying thing. I'm not 
sure why that 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 happens in this country and not elsewhere. Yeah, but, but, um, well, I wonder why that is. I don't know. Yeah. Well, we have that term, the redheaded stepchild, which is yeah, like, yeah, yeah, right, which isn't uh, yeah, yeah, complimentary. <laughs> um, so <laughs> that's why it's not good to stereotype. Let's start. All right, let's go back to Jack Lemmon and Walter Matthau. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's talk about <laughs> let's talk about Zoolander two then. Okay. Yeah. So. I believe the first time most of us knew this was happening was uh, last year, the Paris Fashion Week. Mm-hmm. You walk out on the catwalk. Um, it's all a big surprise. What was that experience like? I mean, were you nervous? I was nervous. I, um, you know, we got there a day ahead uh, and we, we went at, you know, like midnight uh, the night before to sort of walk it and to talk about how it was going to work. And uh, there was so much sort of cloak and dagger and intrigue to the whole plan and then as we're getting ready to do it i was like well, what if no one really cares and we just walk out there and it's just sort of um you know a smattering of applause or even worse some like hissing or something uh but then well, we walked silence. out or silence, silence would have been the worst silence would have yeah. Been, yeah it give us something yeah. we were yeah. excited Ooh, clap and nervous uh, definitely ner- i mean it's a very intense thing to be part of a f- real fashion show and nobody knew we were doing it and part of the surprise i think was that you know it was just nobody knew so that that's why it was, it was so unexpected but it was definitely an intense like and i remember just being really nervous before we went out and i think well all i have to do is we just have to walk and, and not trip and, and, you know, do our thing. But uh, right before we went out, it's like, all right, here we go. I remember looking at you across the yeah. way. Yeah. And you're like, all right, here we go. Yeah. And then we went out. And then as we started to go down the runway, people started to sort of look around and laugh. And then phones started coming out. And then by the end of the runway, we were, people were, you know, cheering. And it was, it felt really it felt good, but it was definitely scary. Yeah, I mean, it was an adrenaline rush that, yeah. that you could, you could see how um, you know there's that cliche of like rock bands that after the concert they go back to the hotel and they can't sleep, uh, and that's why they party so much. And that happened to us a little bit. <laughs> We went out no on the didn't. town for the next. Well, I did. Maybe oh, that, I guess that's yeah. you. That's just you. I was. Uh, I went on a bit of a bender uh, <laughs> after that show. Uh, yeah, because we started uh, shooting the next week right. on the movie. Yeah, and, and no one did uh, go missing for a while. Okay. Yeah, and uh, boy, my uh, my makeup person—they really had their. Their work cut out for them that first week in Rome because there are some major bags under the eyes. You obviously have so many cameos in this film, more than mm-hmm. I can even mention. I won't spoil them for those who haven't seen the film, but you get a lot of uh, fashion industry people in there, right? You have some. Yeah, that was designers. what I was most excited about was having real people from the fashion world, real fashion icons yeah. be a part of the movie because the first time around we didn't have that. They weren't aware of the movie, and over the years they've kind of embrace Zoolander and uh, by being able to have those people actually be in the movie to me kind of gives it another level that we didn't have in the first one it was really fun to have them be a part of it I mean were they enthusiastic because I guess your film is essentially saying that their industry is a bit stupid (laughs) (laughs) I think everybody has a pretty good sense of humor about it all I mean it's a ridiculous industry on a lot of levels uh movies are ridiculous too it's all kind of you know it's making more fun i think yeah the seriousness with which 
Derek and Hansel uh, uh, kind of, you know, venerate the fashion industry, and that's also in yeah. movies where you tend to think that the whole world is thinking about. But I have to uh, say, the fashion world—you have to take yourself seriously to be taken seriously. Uh, yeah. But that doesn't mean these people don't have a sense of humor about it all. And I think it was uh, something that they were looking forward to, to be able to be a part of it because they want to be able to say, "Hey, look, you know." we are also human beings who have a sense of humor. Yeah. Yeah. In the original film, uh, of course, Donald Trump cameos and he is now taking over the world. That's how we were able to get a lot of people for this one. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, we were able to say, uh, you know, this we're not we'll guaranteeing that you're going to be president, but you're going to get the Republican nominee <laughs> if you do a cameo. And um, surprisingly, um, that was effective. So, Justin Bieber for the next nomination. With Ariana Grande as his running mate. Yeah. <laughs> uh, another cameo, the welcome return of Billy Zane. We're very yes. happy to see him again. I love yeah. Billy Zane. Um, great. Well, he has yeah. one of those names that you like to say the it's whole great. name because yeah. his last name is so great and it goes so well with Billy. So yeah. well, it was important for me to have Billy Zane come back because I felt like, you know, he was originally he was Derek's friend in the first movie. And uh, it just felt like, you know, to have the continuity and to bring him have him sort of kick off the movie in a way as this sort of messenger that's bringing both Derek and Hansel this sort of invitation back into the world in sort of this mysterious way that Billy only Billy could do yeah he, he, I mean, he's amazing in this yeah. film. I think he is. Yeah, I do. I he's, think he's yeah, like I a do sort too. of shaman or something. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Okay, I'm really enjoying <laughs> this podcast. It's, yeah, let's go. It's okay, one more, one more, one more. One more. Okay, on, thanks, guys. Uh, higher, yeah. higher. Um, cool. Ben, you recently live tweeted the original film. Yes. Um, yeah. Was that the first time you'd watched it in a while? Like, uh, what was that? Experience yeah, like? I watched it. Um, I guess I watched it right before. We started shooting once just to kind of, you know, remember some stuff and think well, about playing Derek and, and and then watching it. Yeah. Then when we live tweeted, was it, that was the probably the first time in, in probably about a year. Or yeah. When you when you watched it again, what what was a scene that uh, that you enjoyed that, that made you laugh that you're like, that's. That oh, gosh. Um, well, the, the scene that I always uh, kind of can't believe that we did that uh just makes no sense is when we we're trying to open the computer the 2001 yes. scene where we're acting like apes yeah and i remember that uh distinctly when we came up with that which was we were we'd written the script and you came over to my office at red hour yeah do you remember this oh yeah and we were yeah. like and you were like basically giving me your ideas on the script because Owen always has like some you just have to like kind of pull them out of an idea and I remember we were talking and they come about late scene. in the game they do <laughs> yeah so uh, we had I remember we literally started improving it in my office like right. oh here's like the computer it wouldn't be funny if we started like turning into the apes from uh, 2001 yeah but then in retrospect I look at it and I go it's just such a weird yeah, yeah. And you said you tweeted that the crew just sort of stared. Yes. I mean... That often happens. Really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because, you know, they haven't read the script. And, yeah. Or, you know, sometimes they have. 
but it doesn't matter. I mean, it's... Well, sometimes, right, you know, there's just silence, and you think yeah. you've kind of been doing something very funny. But at least yeah. this, filming in Rome, we had the illusion of a language barrier. That's why, right. they're, That's not why they're not laughing. Right, exactly. Yeah. You know, later but sometimes you have to out. do things that are just so out, out, you know, you just have to commit to doing them and just hope they're going to be funny later. Yeah. yeah. Like, there's a scene in this movie where... I don't want to give it away, but there's a scene where there's like a, a, a knife. There's a, I think they showed in the trailer like a knife scene. Mm-hmm. Where you get hit by a knife. Yeah. And doing a reaction to getting hit by a knife when you haven't done the other part of it and you have to really commit to it yeah. can feel very silly. So, <laughs> but, well, you know, yeah. It, thank it, you. It's a very funny movie, so you've nothing to worry about. Great. All right. Thanks, thanks, man. Man. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Great, Great. talking to you, man. Guys. Thank you. How Willie John? Very good. They're on top form. They were great interviews. They're, they're a good company. They gave me an extra five minutes, which was very nice of them. Which well, was your favourite of the two? Of, of the five minutes? Of which, the, which was your favourite of the extra five minutes? Of the extra five minutes. I'd say the fourth. That was a great <laughs> minute. I actually meant the two of them. The two of them. <laughs> uh, no, I, I wouldn't want to pick favourites. Owen Wilson was in a particularly silly mood, which was very enjoyable. So the answer's Owen Wilson. So maybe <laughs> Owen Wilson. That's fine. Let's move on. <laughs> Right, let's move on indeed to uh, talk about this week's movie news. Uh, where should we start? Should we start with the news that's kind of tickled my fancy? That Alien Covenant, the sequel to Prometheus and prequel to all those other Alien movies, uh, directed by Ridley Scott, starts filming very, very soon down, down in Australia. Uh, Danny McBride is in talks to join the cast. Danny McBride, the star of Eastbound and Down, uh, Hot Rod, Observe and Report, all those very, very strange offbeat comedies is in talks to star in Alien Covenant. What do we make of that? Has he done dramatic roles before? He's done dark stuff, but an out-and-out dramatic role? Maybe not. Uh, yeah, it's a bit of a left-field casting choice, I suppose. But, I, I don't know, Ridley Scott filled The Martian with a few sort of interesting, more comedic actors and gave them dramatic roles, so... Yeah, perhaps it's true. this is a similar sort of move. And he's um, clearly a very, very good actor. I'm looking at his uh, CV here, and he's done some dramatic stuff, or he's he's been very, very good in comedic roles that have feared towards dramatic, uh, but he hasn't done an out-and-out out non-comedy, uh, I guess, well, ever, really, looking at this. So this is interesting. Well, that means, I suppose, hints that the direction Alien Covenant is taking. Well, it's just a basically, it's a comedy. Just, just veering towards it. So. <laughs> well... Some would say Prometheus was unintentionally funny, so maybe if they're going to go for the intentionally funny this time, that'd be that'd be quite good. But yeah, it's really cool. But he does he does he fears towards people who are quite boorish. Uh, he tends to pay people who are quite uh, grotesque in a way, quite you know grotesque exaggerations. So I think that's uh, that's potentially good casting. What do we think of like a, about maybe a marine style aliens marine style role? Well, for him, yeah. I don't know. Is he the? You know, would he be quite the right? How do I say build. this? Build the right. Yeah, the right build. Potentially not. Know. He seems to be maybe to be more of a a mercenary or a pilot or a or a bureaucrat. Anyway, we're speculating wildly here, but uh, it's it's interesting. I think so. Well done, Danny McBride. Well done. All right. What else is happening in the world of movie news? Uh, there is a Deadpool sequel that has almost officially been announced, which okay. is very interesting. Uh-huh. Uh, we are going to be talking about that later. I actually interviewed the writers of Deadpool this week and asked them directly Holy if there Jesus. was going to be a sequel. And they said, we don't know. And then 24 hours later, there is a Deadpool sequel. At least it's not been officially confirmed by Fox yet, but I think it's pretty much almost certainly going to happen. There's been quite good buzz in the US. I think it's probably going to be doing quite well at the box office. So that is happening. 
Ryan Reynolds obviously going to return. I think the writers, Rhett Reese and, and Paul Wernicke, are returning. There's no word on Tim Miller, the director, to return yet. But mm. this is interesting, isn't it? Fox's sort of superhero universe is expanding ever further. I think so. It, it, you know, we've talked about this in the podcast before about putting the cart before the horse, and uh, you know, I think the the fact that it's replacing Fantastic Four two, uh, which was scheduled for the same, roughly the same date, uh, that was a bit of that was a bit of chutzpah on Fox's part, and uh, it didn't it didn't work out for them. But Deadpool looks like it's going to do very very well at the box office. We'll find out obviously for sure this weekend. It's already opened in the UK. I'm sure a lot of you have already seen it. And it, it did very, very well. It outgrossed on its opening day X-Men Days of Future Past. Now, of course, it's, it could be very, very, very front-loaded. I don't know, but it's going to be uh, intriguing to see how much it takes and how what, what sort of legs it displays. But certainly, I think Fox are clearly confident enough at this point. They probably know the tracking to greenlight a sequel. It feels This feels to me more like Marvel being so confident about what Guardians of the Galaxy was going to do that they greenlit the sequel the week before it opened and announced the sequel before it opened then uh, announcing a sequel roughly at the same time as a film in development which is what happened with Fantastic Four and then when obviously that went catastrophically wrong then you look quite foolish but doing mm. it this close it's okay but um, I really enjoyed Deadpool there are others in this room who did not I, I enjoyed it fine you enjoyed it fine yeah, yeah. okay <laughs> we're going to talk about it later on uh, and I'm really looking forward to the sequel I'd be, I'd be fascinated to see how far they can push the whole metatastic mm. thing and push the forth, breaking the fourth wall that's going to be that's going to be really fun to see where they can go now they know, they know there's an, an audience for it and it's not just a mm. risk anymore uh, but yeah cool what else what else, what else? What else? What else? at the weekend we had the Super Bowl and with it came a clutch of trailers mm-hmm. for about a million films there was trailers for The Jungle Book, for Independence Day Resurgence, Jason Bourne, Captain America Civil War, Batman versus Superman. Mm-hmm. Obviously, talking about trailers, as we always say on podcasts, not particularly helpful. No, but it's it's a it's a it's a big thing that everyone it's was worth talking mentioning, about. Yeah, it's definitely worth mentioning. And uh, a couple of interesting nuggets from that: uh, the Jason Bourne, the revelation of that title. What do we think of that? Uh, departing from the series uh, template, the Bourne dot 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 hmm. this is just simply Jason Bourne and there's even a bit in the trailer where someone helpfully reminds you it, there's a bit from the trailer which I really liked but it goes you know his name and then there's a, a bit where some guy in an office points at the screen a shot of Matt Damon on the screen goes it's Jason Bourne <laughs> <laughs> just in case you've forgotten but I'm really excited about uh, this movie hmm. what do you think about that uh, Johnny? I mean, I'm just always nervous always nervous because it finished with Matt Damon so well yeah, so always nervous about these these things because we've been burned so many times. We have, but I, I don't know. This is this is Paul Greengrass. This is Matt Damon. They've said repeatedly they wouldn't do it if they didn't have a good I idea. Mean, Steven Spielberg and George Lucas and Harrison Ford repeatedly <laughs> said the same thing, and then they came back with the best in the series. <laughs> well, what are you talking about? Did they make another Indiana Jones film? There's only three Indiana Jones films, isn't there? I don't think they made another one. I, I'm sure I would have seen it and wept. That'd be bad, uh, but yeah, I've, I've got I've got faith in this one. This one looks like it looks interesting from the thirty seconds of the footage that we saw. It and that's looks, all you need, really. That's all you need. Uh, I think the movie's going to be a bit longer than that. Four stars, four stars, <laughs> four stars for Jason Bourne, which is a recommendation. And uh, and I really like the trailer as well. For and yes, here I am I'm holding up my hands. I'm a cliche. I'm wearing a Doctor Strange T-shirt. Look at me. But um, I am genuinely wearing a Doctor Strange T-shirt under my jumper. Do you want to see? Um, sure. Oh, see. Okay. You don't. You Do don't have to pants? take off all your clothes. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, I really like the trailer for Captain America: Civil War. I think it's uh, yeah. um, I, and I, I flopped. I'm, I'm a flip flopper. Uh, so previously, before this this trailer came out, I was uh, completely and utterly a team Cap. I was very much like boo, boo to Tony Stark, siding with the government man, trying to make superheroes do the right thing, man. That ain't cool, man. And then there's a bit in this trailer where our Bucky, Cap's best friend. Um, tries to shoot Tony Stark point-blank in the face, uh, which is unusual, not something we, we tend to see in superhero films. Um, for anyone who says that these movies are just the same thing over and over again, look at uh, the expression on Robbie Downey Jr.'s face as he tries to uh, process the fact that someone's just trying to shoot him in the face, which hasn't happened before. That's a new wrinkle for me. And that's not cool, Bucky. That's not cool. So I'm flip-flopped. I'm now, for, for the time being, on Team Tony. But just because one team has uh, a, rogue. a rogue element. <laughs> but it's not cool. Cap's got to take responsibility for that, man. Well, I'm sure that he does. I'm sure that Bucky comes back and Captain says, not again, mate. Did, did you try and shoot Tony Stark in the face? Yes. Don't do it again. All right. Okay, back on Team Cap. Right. Johnny, you've persuaded me. <laughs> I'm all good. <laughs> uh, and the trailer for Independence Day Resurgence was just bonkers, wasn't it? I mean, this looks... Mm. <laughs> like The level of destruction in this thing. Just that Singapore being sucked into the air. It's just madness. It does look a little bit like 2012-2. You know, it looks like the whole world is basically going to explode or something. In this yeah, film. yeah. I'm I'm a bit worried. Nick made a very good point, which I agree with. I'm slightly concerned that it doesn't look as fun as the first film. It looks very serious and dark, at least from the trailers we've seen. Yeah. And, I, and I would like to have that element of silliness about it. To be honest, though, I think if you go back and look at the trailers for the first Independence Day, they were quite serious as mm. well, and they showcased the destruction and the, the ominous arrival of the aliens, and they didn't necessarily show Jeff Goldblum larking around mm. or Randy Quaid flying an airplane up alien bums. They didn't, they didn't do any well, that of that. that blows stuff. the finale. <laughs> if you haven't seen Independence Day... <laughs> Spoiler alert for the last ten yeah, seconds. Randy Quaid takes out those extraterrestrial star whackers in, in ways that only he knows how. But the, the, the trailer for the original Independence Day was premiered at the Super Bowl, and it famously had that shot of the White House being blown up and that was such an iconic thing and it made everyone head to the cinema in droves yeah. and it, and I don't feel like this trailer had that Super Bowl iconic moment you know it didn't quite have something that that really grabbed me um, I don't know I thought well the, the sight of London being completely destroyed A made me want to move but also yeah it, that kind of that kind of worked for me I'm excited about it I think it's going to be uh, I'm excited about I, it yeah I think it's going to be a lot of fun a yeah. lot of lot of big destruction which is uh, which is very good, which which is very good. There's your intellectualism, John. <laughs> there is your intellectualism. Uh, one thing I'm excited about: there was some casting news this week. Uh, Sam Jackson's in talks to star in uh, Josh Boone's version of Stephen King's Revival, which is one of his most recent books. Um, do you read Stephen King, Johnny? I have read some Stephen King. I've read, not read Revival. You haven't read Revival? Okay. Uh, Revival is a very very good book. It's about a young boy uh, who. Uh, becomes friends with a, a preacher in his local town. Uh, the preacher's wife and child, uh, this is not, not a spoiler, this is the inciting incident, if you will, uh, are, are killed in a horrible accident, and the preacher then um, leaves town and goes a bit crazy, uh, conducting experiments with electricity to try and bring them back to life, essentially. And we follow the young boy as he grows up and becomes a drug adult rock musician. And his paths cross with the preachers several times and uh, it gets a little bit more sinister and a lot more scary uh, as things go on. Sam Jackson talks to play the preacher, Reverend Charles Jacobs, which is is a very interesting thing. Um, The book's fantastic. I didn't think it was particularly cinematic. 
it follows these characters over the course of their lives. So we follow the, the lead character from like eight years old to his mid-50s and we follow Charles Jacobs from his 20s to his 70s. So I don't know how Josh Boone's going to do that, but I do know that he's also uh, hoping to make an adaptation of The Stand across four films and this is going to be a hell of a lot easier than doing that. Uh, so I wish him all the best on that one. But Sam Jackson's good choice. Uh, and then a couple of other things to just talk about. Did anyone see the uh, the, the Funnier Die movie that hit this week? The oh, Donald I, Trump yeah. one? Uh, I started watching it, yeah, but it's uh-huh. 50 minutes long. And then you have to you have to carve out a 50-minute chunk of your day, I think, to watch this. But this yeah. is... Uh, so it seems to be Adam McKay uh, has directed a... Somehow, or at least he's produced, a 50-minute short film starring Johnny Depp uh, in prosthetics as Donald Trump in a... 1980s TV movie adaptation of Trump's book The Art of the Deal um, and I, I, I've the, yeah it's demented and an all-star cast of well let's say all-star cast uh, Pat Oswalt and Henry Winkler and people like that but it's it's very it's very, very funny so uh, do check it out and uh, uh, if you can it's so funny or die and then of course Star Wars Episode 8 began uh, began production this week which is Basically, the most exciting thing that could possibly ever happen, apart from I suppose episode eight coming out now. <laughs> episode eight coming out in December twenty seventeen. So not in, at all the most exciting thing that could happen now, but also <laughs> it's exciting. exciting. Not, it's exciting nonetheless. It's pretty exciting. I yeah. think I'm pretty excited about it. There's there are three films right now that are in production that I think should excite everybody. One's episode eight. The other one's Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two, which also started filming this week, and the other one's Triple X: The Return of Sandra Cage, which is. <laughs> It, it, it's it's a real film that's that's apparently happening right now. Uh, Finn Diesel is is making it, and he apparently has other people helping him to make it. It's not just it's not just him with like a a, a GoPro going around and filming his adventures. Sandra Cage is back. Is it actually subtitled "The Return of Sandra it is, Cage"? It is. Yeah. Triple X. Remembers who Sandra Cage is. I mean, you have to. Sander Cage, he's like the Han Solo of my generation. Triple X. So you're you're proposing the title should be Triple X: Return of Sander Cage, who was played by Finn Diesel in the first film. Triple <laughs> X. We know you've probably forgotten it, but here's here's some Netflix credits, and you can go and check it out. Yeah, or a cover mounted DVD. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. What was the uh, What was the name of Ice Cubes? Triple X. Well, so. it was called Triple X: The Next Level. So I'm hoping his character was called Next Level. Oh, yeah. I mean, that would make sense. It would make sense. Um, I wonder if Sam Jackson's in that film as his character. Stern. He's in most films. Yeah, yeah man. Yeah. He is in most films. If you, It's true. If you start filming at some point, if you film for long enough, <laughs> Sam Jackson will come in and walk into your, your frame. So hopefully that'll happen with the return of Sandra Cage. I'm fascinated by what you just said about his... Who did you say he was? Of your generation? <laughs> the Han Solo. Solo. The Han Solo. That, that is remarkable to me. Because I suppose people of our age, Chris, have uh, <laughs> cert- no. We have certain uh, touchpoint films from our childhood. Uh, we do. Ghostbusters, yeah. and Back to the Future. Yeah. And I'm fascinated by te- people ten years younger than me. Like, what are their films? Like, yeah. is it is it Angus? Is it is it Angus? It's probably not Angus. Well, this is a, is it Fly Away Home? Like, what are the mid nineties films? Oh, are- certainly not Fly Away Home. It's probably you know, is it Transformers? I always I always wonder That's- if Transformers is going to be people Star Wars. For people ten years younger than me, what is their Ghostbusters, John? It would have to be a draw between uh, Home Alone Two, Lost in New York, <laughs> and Space Jam. I would say was the two formative films of my youth. Oh my god! If it wasn't for Michael Jordan's lessons on living your life to the full and basketball wow. I don't know I'd be the man I was today this explains honestly I'm getting more insight into the wells of rage <laughs> with every passing week Home Alone 2 and Space Jam Home Alone 2 it's superior to the original as we all know absolutely yeah. amazing 
Uh, by the way, the, the Han Solo of our generation is Sun Kang's character in the Fast and Furious films. Okay. Literally, the Han Solo of our generation. Because his character name is Han Solo. Yeah. No, I, For I the love of God. Yeah. 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 Right. The last thing to talk about this week is uh, the, the BAFTAs are happening on Sunday. All very, very exciting. Uh, two weeks before the Oscars, lots of A-list stars flying into London to duke it out. I wish they actually did fight. That would be amazing. Um, so, excited about the BAFTAs. Johnny, you're actually you're going? I am going. Yeah, this is your first... It can't be your first rodeo on the BAFTAs. They have street this food. This is not, no. <laughs> they do not. They have a delicious dinner afterwards. <laughs> Well, you'd be going around just grabbing food off people's plates. Is no, that- actually, what you what, you do go around grabbing stuff, but you don't grab the food. You wait until everyone's eaten, and they take the plates away. And right. actually, on each table is a table mat with a still from one of the Best Picture nominations on. Okay. And you you, you take those and stash them in your bag. <laughs> Sell them on eBay later on. I once uh, fought uh, former Empire editor Mark Dunning for a particularly uh, nice drive <laughs> table mat. <laughs> and it's uh, sitting proudly in my uh, Do you still in my have kitchen. It? I don't, yeah, you still so those are my table mats. I've got uh, some drive ones: Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, Life of Pi. Wow! So that shows when the the two years that I went to the BAFTAs. <laughs> <laughs> it certainly does. All right, so I'm going to read out some. I'm going to read out some big categories now, and you got to choose your winners, right? Best Actor in a Supporting Role Mark Ruffalo for Spotlight Idris Elba for Beats and Donation Benicio Del Toro for Sicario Mark Rylance for Bridge of Spies Christian Bale for The Big Short Where's Sylvester Stallone in this? Anyway, let's get over that Who is your winner? Johnny Nugent I'd like to see Idris Elba win this because he was snubbed at the Oscars and he puts in such an amazing performance in Beasts of No Nation I think that would be very nice for him to win but I don't know I'm not sure he's the front runner maybe Mark Rylance What do we think? I think Mark Rylance is... A likely winner. Okay. I don't know that uh, Idris Elba should win just because he doesn't have an Oscar nomination. No, that's seems. exactly why he should win. That's right, the okay. only reason he should win. Okay, no, uh, then. Sorry, I didn't realise that. I'll, just, take it, I'll take it back. Shouldn't he win because it's the best performance? In a, yeah, um, yeah. You know, yeah, that too. Come old fashioned. But then again, should anyone win? Because uh, art's not a competition, guys. Exactly. Yeah, uh, yeah Mark Rylance should win. <laughs> All right, best actress in the supporting role. See the way I didn't actually name anyone there? See the way I just sat in the fence? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think it'll be Mark Rylance. Uh, best actress in the supporting role. Rooney Mara, Carol. Uh, Jennifer Jason Lee, The Hateful Eight. Uh, Kate Winslet, Steve Jobs. Alicia Vikander for Ex Machina. And not the Danish girl. Interesting. Mm. And Julie Walters uh, for playing Julie Walters in Brooklyn. I mean, the worry is that Julie Walters does win it for that small role where she did the same thing that she always does. Um, because... That is possibly where she was very good. She was very good. She is very good at herself. I thoroughly enjoyed her small performance in that movie. Oh wow! I can see we've got two career killers here. This is (laughs) is interesting. Uh, But who's your money on? If indeed you bet, I don't know who's going to win it. I would like Jennifer Jason Lee to win it. Okay, Jennifer Jason Lee. That's a very uh, interesting nomination. Uh, I think Mm. she's really great in that film. And yeah, yeah, she is. I'd like her to win it. I think uh, it's quite ludicrous that she's the only member of the Hateful Eight cast who was nominated for anything on both sides of the Atlantic. So, uh, John Nugent? Uh, I'd like to see Alicia Vikander win this. It's she's it's interesting she's nominated for Ex Machina because in the Oscars she's nominated for The Danish Girl. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it'd be cool if she got an, the same award for different films or, or the same category for different films. That'd be amazing, wouldn't it? Um, but I think I, w- I would like Alicia Vikander to win all the awards. I w- I'd like her to, to win Best Actor. She's that good at acting, she can win the male categories. 
She's she's quite amazing. She really can play anyone. Yeah. Um, okay, uh, I think it's going to be Rooney Mara. Uh, best Direction, uh, Adam McKay, The Big Short, Todd Haynes, Carol, Alejandro Gonzalez, Indiritu for The Revenant, Ridley Scott for The Martian, and Sir Stephen of Spielberg for Bridge of Spies. The correct answer here is George Miller for Mad Max Fury Road, and he is not nominated. That and is this correct. is a snub of the highest order. So that's I, I abstain from this category. <laughs> I I want George Miller. Okay, is a silent protest yeah. from uh, from John Johnny, uh, the Revenant guy whose name I'm not willing to pronounce. Alejandro Gonzalez in the Ritu. Uh, no, the other one. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff Smith uh, for, for the Revenant. All right, uh, best actor in a leading role: Eddie Redmayne for the Danish Girl, Michael Fassbender for Steve Jobs, Brian Cranston for Trumbo, Matt Damon for The Martian, and Leonardo DiCaprio for The Revenant. Well, the likelihood is it's DiCaprio, right? Yeah, it's but, almost certainly DiCaprio. Oh, it should so be Matt Damon. That's a very interesting hot take. Why? Because that film is is all him it wouldn't be half as good as it is without you know him in it being as charismatic and mm-hmm. uh, funny as he is mm-hmm. and it's, it's not an easy role to play because he's acting with himself um, he is yeah leo's acting with himself for large parts of that film uh, but you know he does have bears and tom hardy to to be with as well but and also i just think it's a, a lot easier. I don't know. Let's 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 just put it out there. I don't know that it's easier, but I just think it's easier to like pretend to be cold when it's freezing than it is to pretend to be on Mars when you're not on Mars. There we go. Because it's acting. Yeah, that's what that's yeah. What it is. yeah man. That's yeah. the thing about Leo. He he does put in a great performance, but it shouldn't be an award for the most amount of effort. You know, it shouldn't be the the award for how cold you are. As brilliant as his performance is, um, I don't think it's necessarily the best performance of the year yeah um, I could see a lot of other people doing something similar to that but mm. I don't know that many people that could, could be as engaging as Matt Damon was in The Martian a very good point a very good point so you but you th- yeah it's going to be DiCaprio though isn't it it's, it is it's, it's it going to be I think it's, in, in years to come it'll probably be looked back as the, the right award for the wrong film hmm He's he's pretty much a shoe in. Uh, I, again, I think it's, there's some people in this category for both this and the Oscars. Uh, the people who aren't in this category, rather, who should be uh, Michael B. Jordan, Sam Jackson, and uh, Jacob Tremblay, who mm. is astonishing in Room, um, and yet didn't get nominated, presumably for the crime of uh, not being an adult actor. And and basically, people looking at it going, well, it's just a fluke. It's a one off, isn't it? You know, prove yourself in Home Alone Seven. Uh, right, best actress in the leading role: Brie Larson for Room, Alicia Vikander for The Danish Girl. Uh, Kate Blanchett for Carol, Saoirse Ronan for Brooklyn, and Maggie Smith for being Maggie Smith in uh, Maggie Smith in a fan. Yeah, well, Brie Larson is the front runner here. I think she's probably going to take it and mm. the Oscar as well. Again, my money's on Alicia Vikander. I just think she's so great. I basically love Alicia Vikander. I, 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 <laughs> it's if, becoming clear, John. If you if you're listening, Alicia, I mean, I will drop everything, whatever it takes. This is not your personal dating service, but I, I know now that if you do get worked up about someone's career and you try and take someone down the podcast, all you need to do is show you a picture of Alicia Vikander. That will and calm just, me. Yes. The, soothing, the soothing sounds, maybe some pan pipes. Yeah. Alicia Vikander playing pan pipes. That would help you out. Yeah. Uh, right, uh, very very quickly. Best British film, Amy. Ex Machina, The Lobster, 45 Years, The Danish Girl, Brooklyn. Uh, Ex Machina should win. Ex Machina should win. I'd like to see, I think 45 Years will win this one, actually. But I think, um, I'd like to see Amy, I'd like to see a documentary do it. Hmm. That'd be fun. 
That'd be interesting. Uh, Rising Star Award, which is footed for by the public. Uh, John Boyega, Brie Larson, uh, Dakota Johnson, Bell Powley, and Taron Edgerton. I think there's, I think there's only one winner here. I think Taron Edgerton has a, a, a big, big fan base, but he didn't start Star Wars. It's got to be yeah, John. Yeah. It's got to be John the Star Wars fan base is bigger, is it? It's, it, we, it's we'll big. check after the podcast. It's, it's bigger. I'm just double checking. Yes. Force Awakens did make more money than Kingsman um, I think John Boyega deserved to be on this category a few years ago uh, for a film called Attack the Block yeah. um, but better late than never uh, well actually I think this is a very very good list I think this, it's is, a good the, this list. is the right five people chosen from uh, a long list that was put to certain members of the uh, critical <laughs> community uh, myself and our editor included yeah. um, the, uh, John Boyega the, uh, the idea of this is category is someone who in the last 12 months has uh, captured the imagination of the public. Yes. So I think actually this is the right year for Boyega. Mm. And I just think that yeah, those five names are just... I just I mean, it couldn't have been a better, more well-put-together list. Just, <laughs> there's no one on that list that you're like, oh, they, they shouldn't be there or there should be someone else there. There's no, like... I don't know, I think George Miller should be on that list. Uh, obviously Miller. The Ob- jury Miller. the jury really shines through in this category, I, I feel th- like. I think so, yeah. I yeah. think so. Good juring. Yeah. Well done, Johnny. Uh, right, and then the big one, best film, Bridge of Spies, The Revenant, Spotlight, The Big Short, and Carol. Uh, I think it's, it's a quite boring list. <laughs> the correct answer, again, is Mad Max Fury Road, and it's not nominated, so I'm abstaining once again. You I don't know. You can't abstain. People are listening for... They, they, they tune in for opinions. So they tune in, they download. They I download for opinions. They download for opinions. I think my favourite out of that list is probably Carol. I think that's probably the best film, objectively. Right. It's not what I'm asking, John. I'm asking you who will win. Who will win, Who's I think, is win? probably Spotlights or The Revenant. It's, it's one of those two. <laughs> or or I, The I Big Short or Bridge of Spies or Carol. I think Good. Spotlight will win, won't it? Spotlight will win. Okay. Do you not think? I, well, I just think people uh, people listen for opinions. But this they, is the they thing. want they want a definitive choice. This is the thing. Going round those tables at the Baftas, mm. there's not really a film there I'm very excited about stealing the table map for. <laughs> so, so what does that tell you? Ima- yeah, you're right. Uh, imagine a Mag Max table map. That would be mm, so much. Yeah. Just just to be clear, you are supposed to take these mats. <laughs> I'm not, to, I'm not stealing from BAFTA like they are like you're supposed to take your own mat and if people don't take their mat they're, they're more full fa- they're fair game yeah absolutely alright so you think Spotlight I think Spotlight will win um, but um, you don't much care I mean I like those films you like those films but I'm just not excited okay. about that list okay I think that I am going to abstain uh, from choosing this one because because I can Right, uh, there we go, that's movie news uh, Speaking of BAFTA, this week's second guest is a living legend A ruddy living legend and a bloody national treasure He's a comedian, he's a writer, he's an author He's a director, he's an actor He's soon to be a producer, he's a TV host And since 2001, give or take a short sabbatical He has been the presenter of the BAFTA Film Awards He is, of course, the great, the legendary, the splendiferous The multiple brilliantly I'm just trying to. He would. What would he say? The multiple Brunidley. I think that's what he would say. That's a word. Yeah. Uh, Stephen Fry and I spoke to him earlier this week. Enjoy. 
We're delighted to be joined on the Empire Podcast by the great Stephen Fry. How are you, sir? I'm extremely well, Chris. Thank you for asking. Uh, well, thank you for coming in. Uh, with two days to go, three days to go until the BAFTAs, I, I thought you'd be beavering away on your script. There's been an element of beavering. My <laughs> teeth have been uh, rasping on the tree trunk of circumstance in order to try and to build a dam or a lodge of... Oh, God, that is, this is not working. <laughs> you see, this is the problem. This is the if I start using that kind of language and get all fancy-schmancy, then people would have, <laughs> frankly, turned over if they're watching at home or they would have left the theatre. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's interesting. It's a very interesting gig. This is my 11th time, would you yes. believe? Um, and I still don't feel that I really have mastered it, and perhaps that's good, because you can't master things that are human-shaped. Um, uh, humans will always squeeze out. Um, but I think what's interesting is, is that, you know, a lot of really big names come along now, more than ever, actually, the BAFTA seems to be up there, above mm. the Golden Globes, I would suggest, as probably the second most important to filmmakers. And they're the ones who are often nervous. Oh, um, And I think, you know, I know most of your listeners are real film lovers, and you are too, and I think we're all aware that there's a, there's a potential divide in cinema over the year, and, and that is the, the films that are rolled out as... Uh, you know, so-called um, tent poles. You know, the the, mm-hmm. the the ones that hold up the season, mm-hmm. um, uh, and that are essentially children's films that adults go to, with, involving um, Marvel heroes <laughs> and other such things, or spaceships and so on. And then there's a great squeeze of adult movies at the end of the year to build into the into the award seasons. Um, I always think that's a terrible pity because I have it in my head, perhaps mm-hmm. wrongly, that I grew up in an age when there was total crossover between what was entertaining and thrilling mm. and what was adult. Mm. And, I, and, and, and I think BAFTA has an opportunity, like a, like a lot of award ceremonies, to, to try and to push the, um, the availability and the obvious interest of, of adult movies uh, to all people mm. uh, and, and to include them in, in, in an evening which also celebrates blockbusters. Obviously, you keep up to date with uh, what's happening with the, the films that have been nominated. Are you allowed in your role as host to have a, a particular favourite? <laughs> I, I try not to, obviously, because it's not my job. There, you know, there are people sitting there hoping their film's going to be noticed. Because another element of, is that the reward for a blockbuster is box office takings. Mm-hmm. Ah, box office takings. Um, and, you know, it's the money. The bottom line is... Uh, is is replenished, so they don't need awards. But the the reward for certain kinds of movie, Room and Carol, mm-hmm. movies like that, for example, is is that they get they get prestige and kudos, and 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 they get, really get noticed, uh, and they get awards, and and that helps the filmmakers enormously, and therefore they they care not because they 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 want to be seen holding a, a shiny trophy, but because that enables their next movie to be made a little more easily than it otherwise would have done. Absolutely. Uh, and that, that, to me, is the key. So, obviously, I'm always rooting for a kind of underdog, as it were. Mm. Um, and I think most people are. You know, I don't know. It's funny how films really make feelings run high. People will talk after movies, and, and they'll, they'll get so angry with each other. If they hate a movie, it's not just, I didn't like it. I hated it! I wanted to kill it, I wanted to pull its feathers out, I wanted to stamp on it, I wanted to, yeah. you know? And it's really interesting, that. It's almost like a personal affront. It, it is, in some it? ways. And that's, that's really exciting, because that means 
that the, the, the mode of entertainment that is filmmaking is, is one that speaks to people very, very personally and deeply. Absolutely. Well, what's your process at the moment in terms of your build-up to the, to the BAFTAs? Uh, well, uh, I've just had um, this morning a, a, a meeting with the production company and uh, with people from BAFTA and my two loyal and splendid uh, writers, Ivor Badil and Philip Kerr, who, who've been with me for, for years, and we sort of put it all together. Uh, and they come up with wonderful ideas and... I ruin them, or, <laughs> <laughs> or I come up with a wonderful idea and have to persuade them that it's wonderful. Uh-huh. And actually, it's great. We, we, we never row or anything. But we just had a big meeting this morning, and we discovered that my opening monologue was nine minutes, where it should be about three and a half or four. <laughs> so there's been a lot of blood on the floor. But is there a sense at this point, this is your 11th Baptist, as you say. I mean, if you hadn't taken that, that, that short four-year sabbatical, this would be your 15th yes. uh, time around. Yes, you know your stuff. Uh, That's right. <laughs> I certainly well, I hope Some so. A weasel called Jonathan Ross stepped in, didn't he? How dare he? Yes, it would be 15th, which I... I mean, that would be asking too much for, for, the, for the British public and, the, <laughs> and for the filmmakers. But, but surely this means that this is your show, and if you want to do a nine-minute monologue, you can do a nine-minute monologue. <laughs> I'm not that sort of person, and maybe I should stamp my tiny jeweled heel and, and make a fuss about it, but I don't think I'm going to. But I... You know, you well, it's not about being... Incredibly funny. It's not a comic showcase for me mm-hmm, mm-hmm. To, to to show off uh, uh, with brilliant gags and amazing sort of uh, little digs at people that make everyone go, "Ooh, that was naughty. That was risque." Um, it's really to relax everybody, both at home and in the uh, Royal Opera House, um, and to make sure it all just goes with a sense that that it's not going to collapse. It's not embarrassing or eggy. Mm-hmm. Or it's not what I might call a, a I sometimes call the the croque madame. It's not <laughs> eggy, cheesy, or hammy. <laughs> so let's cast your mind back. I mean, how did it come about for you in the in the first place? Back in two thousand six, I can't quite remember. I think um, you have to. This was a weird, long time ago. This is before there was such a thing as an iPhone. Was before there was such a thing as Twitter. It's weird, isn't it? I don't, um, what the hell did I do with my time? I can't remember life before Twitter. <laughs> no, what did I do? <laughs> You've considerably more followers than I do as well. So. But um, <clears throat> I can't... I was asked, I, uh, and I think I was asked, I was very lucky, I was asked, and the year that I first did it was the year that... Uh, the BAFTA Film Awards divested themselves of the TV awards. They had all been one evening, rather like the Golden Globes, TV and movies. Uh, And they had usually taken place in the great room of the Grosvenor House in Mayfair. Uh, Huge, huge room, but everybody sitting at tables eating, again, rather like the Golden Globes. (laughs) Um, And so the, the host's job was to talk to a room, a third of which had their back to him. Uh, and to, 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 you know, host an evening that went on for three and a half, four or five hours. Yeah. And when they asked me to do it, they decided to separate from the TV, so it would just be movies, and they'd do the the award ceremony in the Odeon Leicester Square, just in one go, as a a sort of theatre event, Mm -hmm. and then all the rest, the dinner and, and so on, the getting drunk, could all happen afterwards. Yes. And I thought, well, that's that's much more manageable. So I did it. And the other change they made, which was vital for, for BAFTA's brand, if you like, was that they decided to move it to before the Oscars. Yes. Hard to, hard to believe, but it used to be after the Academy Award weekend, which meant that nobody gave it a, a, a cuss. <laughs> why, why would they? Thank goodness I found the word cuss. <laughs> Think of the ones I was thinking, searching for before. Um, and, and so it was a, it was a real... Um, it was a real sea change for BAFTA, and I think it, it, it was wonderful to be a part of that. 
Um, and we had some we had some interesting times. I remember, I think it was the second one I did. They'd left some form of carpet shampoo in the red carpet. Uh, so when everybody arrived, it, it, it moosed up because it started yes. to rain. And yes. they were just going through this huge moose, uh, which was very, very comical. <laughs> um, it was also that year that I discovered that the red carpet had become a synecdoche or, or a metonym, I think, is uh, whatever the figure of speech you want to call it. In other words, it no longer referred to a stretch of carpet. That's right. Because yeah. I asked somebody um, from the production company, I said, how, you know, looking at the carpet, I said, how long is the red carpet? And she said, it's about 40 minutes. <laughs> because to her it was it was a segment yes it was a slot it Absolutely. was it was a 40 minute piece of tv that was the red carpet segment Indeed. where everybody arrived it wasn't actually how long is it as a, it was no longer a carpet and 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 i thought that was very very good and then that was there was a year when russell crowe won for i think it was for it might have been a beautiful mind it might have been um, Gladiator, I think mm-hmm. he won two in a row. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he, he was absolutely the height of his um, uh, pomp then. Um, but in his acceptance speech, he read a poem. Mm-hmm. And actually, it was in honor of Richard Harris, who had just died, That's right. who was a friend of his. And it was a poem that Richard Harris had, had shown him. It was Patrick Kavanagh poem. And uh, <clears throat> when, we, when we filmed the BAFTAs, it doesn't go out live. There's about a... Half forty-five minutes, maybe grace, if you were, so if you will. So if if we start doing recording, if we start doing it in front of the audience at seven, it doesn't go out to the British public till about seven forty-five or eight. Or yes, it is. Yeah. It gives them an hour to do a little bit of editing on the fly, mm-hmm. um, and they chose to edit Russell's speech, including mm-hmm. the poem. And at the dinner afterwards. Uh, someone told him this because they'd watched it on television. Obviously, he didn't know because he'd been in, in the, at the venue. And he, he chose to be rather annoyed about it. <laughs> and he said, who, who made the decision? And they, they, pointed, they pointed at Malcolm Gary, who's, who was the head of the production company. <laughs> so I suppose the buck did stop with him. And I looked across and I just saw Malcolm going right up the wall <laughs> being pulled up by the windpipe. <laughs> By this angry Australian. And um, uh, he kind of was persuaded to let Malcolm go. (laughs) Dropped him and he fell all the way down. It was exciting. Sadly, since that day, everybody's behaved beautifully. (laughs) I'm really fond of Russell. I think he's A, a wonderful film actor and B, a really nice guy. But, but, um, uh, you know, he obviously got a lot of stick for it, which is, you know, he was just... (laughs) No, it was. It wasn't because he he had wanted to be seen reading the poem. It was because it was in honour of somebody he thought deserved a, um, deserved the honour. He uh, he won an award at the uh, Empire Awards a few years ago, and when he arrived for his speech, he rather pointedly read out a poem, and then left. <laughs> He's clearly still rankles with him. <laughs> that was not cut out. That was that, that was kept in. Um, I just wanted to talk, uh, Stephen, as well about your your film career mm. as well. So around about the same time as you took the BAFTA gig, I was I, I said two thousand six earlier on. I meant to say two thousand and one. Uh, mm, you were yeah. you were directing as well. You were making your directorial debut. Um, mm. Since then, have you wanted to come back behind the camera? Have you want, have you, you thought know, about directing I again? Mean, people have been kind enough to ask me. There have been one or two projects that have been brought to me uh, with, with a view to my directing, and I love doing it the once. It adds <laughs> it into two years of my life, uh-huh. and, and I so enjoy the variety of things I do that in order to sacrifice another two years, I'd, it really better mean something. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, I like being in films. I've got three films at the moment 
waiting in the can, as it were, to mm-hmm. that to come out. Well, four, including one that I produced, and 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 um, and the, you know, it's nice. I, I don't fool myself. I'm never going to get sent parts that Robert Pattinson or Brad Pitt have turned down. You know, <laughs> but but just occasionally a role will come along in a film that might surprise me and surprise. The world. I mean, I remember years ago, I can't remember when it was, 2006 maybe, um, doing this film in Berlin with the Wachowski brothers, oh, yes. uh, V for Vendetta. Absolutely. And, and I saw it at a screening. Um, Joel Silver, who produced it, uh, had, had a screening in London. I thought, I really like this movie, and it did nothing at the box office. But since then... It has become something of, um, one must use the word, of a cult. And obviously the... Um, the facial wear, dress of the hero, V himself, the, has become a symbol of uh, the anonymous movement and, yes. and so on. Um, but I think movies like that are terribly important, and it's a, it's a great shame they're so rare. Mm. They seem to come along every 10, 15 years, a movie that dares question the status quo in a bold and innovative way. And the thing about V is that it had enough of a budget mm. because it was the Wachowski brothers who were still riding on the, obviously, the huge success of the, Ma- the Matrix uh, franchise. And you, you, you can't make a movie like that, that that is sort of attempts to be mainstream in terms of budget and production values, but which is subversive. You can't mm. seem to do that anymore. Mm. And I, I think that's a terrible pity. And I'm prepared to be told that I'm... I'm I'm either blind to movies that I've not seen that mm-hmm. are current, mm-hmm. or that I'm blind to the real uh, nature of seventies movies, which was most well, probably like all periods ninety percent, eighty percent dreck. <laughs> yes, we remember the greats. Yeah, we do. <laughs> we gloss over everything else. Um, I don't have much time, Stephen. I just I'm want sorry. to talk about um, a couple of other things mm. in your career. One of the very first things I remember seeing you in on the big screen was a fish called Wanda. Yes. Where you were <laughs> mugged, I guess, Blinkety by Kevin Miss. Klein. Yes, I was, yeah. by Kevin Klein, yeah. He said, oh, look, the Queen, where? And bang on the head, <laughs> and my passport is stolen. That was fun. It was Charlie Crichton who directed it, of course, directed, um, uh, not Passport to Pimlico, of course, uh, no, uh, Lavender Hill Mob, mm-hmm. which was one of the great eating movies mm-hmm. uh, with uh, Stanley Holloway and, uh, and Alec Guinness. And uh, so it was rather wonderful to talk to him and... Brilliant, typically brilliant of Cleese to have chosen him to direct the movie because he wanted someone who could really give it that kind of pace and energy and not um, slow down too much. Or he's quite a tough. He was a very tough cookie, Charlie, mm. and he didn't have any time for actors' vanities. It was you know just get on with it. You know. um, that was that was fabulous to work on. <laughs> <laughs> was that a, a one day gig for you? It, absolutely, one day. It was at the University of somewhere. Uh, it was a, used to be a polytechnic somewhere. On sort of Camden, no, not Camden, what, what, what am I talking about? South London. Uh, it was made to look like Heathrow, vaguely. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Well, it fooled me. Yeah, me, <laughs> yeah, me too. And the, and the final thing is, uh, we had your uh, comedic partner, Hugh Laurie, on the podcast mm. uh, last year. Uh, I just want to know, do you guys still swap sketch ideas? And If something comes to you at three in the morning, do you send something to Hugh? Does he send something to <laughs> well, you? Not, not exactly sketch ideas, but in emails, which didn't exist when we were mm. um, you know, frantically working together, uh, uh, on on our TV show, a bit of Fran Laurie, we we send emails, and in those emails, we, as it were, take a line for a walk. You know, we do, we go for silly um, uh, silly things, and uh, uh, he always makes me laugh incredibly with his emails. He's a very funny email style, um, and yeah, we we always say that we certainly don't rule out the idea of doing something together. But we also say, you know, sketch comedy is a, seems to be a young person's game. You know, it's it's about the 
It's about the school child doing an Im- 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 impersonation of their school teacher. Uh-huh. Yes. And once you're the age that a school teacher can be, or indeed now in our case the age of a school teacher is retiring, <laughs> uh, it's, it becomes character acting rather than sketch acting. Okay, that's it. I, oh, I wish I could talk about that theory a little bit longer. <laughs> yeah. uh, but uh, it's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, Stephen Fry, thank you so much for coming on. Nice to talk to you, Chris. Thank you. Thank you. What a lovely man. What a lovely, lovely man. Okay, time now to take your hand and dance you through your choices at the multiplex this week. Uh, oh, God, I went Irish there. It's uh, all very exciting. Uh, there's a lot of films out this week, and we don't have a lot of time. People are banging on the window of the Bodboys right now and threatening to kick us out. Uh, we talked about the BAFTA so goddamn long. Lots of films. The ones we're going to talk about in depth are Deadpool and Zoolander 2. We'll do a roundup of the other ones uh, later on. Let's start with Deadpool, which is the, as you've heard, the long-awaited second debut, if you will, of uh, Marvel's Merc with a Mouth, played by Ryan Reynolds, as indeed he was in X-Men Origins. That film didn't work out so well for the character. Does this one work? Johnny wrote The Empire Review. I did indeed. Uh, My first taste of uh, online anger. Uh, (laughs) uh, If that was you, thank you very much. (laughs) Yeah, I signed up. I think I made 14 accounts. (laughs) It was a productive day. Yeah. I quite liked it. Okay. I actually don't think that I... Because I saw it at a different screening to you, Mm -hmm. and I don't think I saw it in the best place to see it. I saw it in a small room with few people, and, you know, there wasn't a lot of energy in that room, and I think that that is absolutely a room that needs energy, and we'll come to Zoolander 2 in a moment, but I took my uh, three biggest laughing friends to see Zoolander 2 with me to really, like, ramp up that energy, at least in our small group. And for Deadpool, you know, it just wasn't there. The, the room was a bit flat. Um, and you have to, I suppose, make a decision whether that's the film or whether it's, you know, there are other things at play here. Yeah. No, absolutely. So I, possibly with you, like, hooting through it out of either... Well, in, in fairness, I saw it in a room of very, very people as well. I just I just found it funny. But I've seen it since with a, with a big crowd. And uh, I was really fascinated to see how it played with a big crowd. And... It's it's very funny. It's the funniest film of the week. Which, given that there are two comedies, <laughs> out now comedy. I mean, Zoolander Two is an out now comedy. Deadpool, for me, is much much funnier. But I find it funny in parts, but quite irritating a lot of the time. Well, like, yeah. Um, well, that's me. <laughs> I mean, it's it's juvenile. It's sick. It's twisted, and it's irritating. So it's pretty much made for me. Don't disagree with me, guys. <laughs> Jesus. So what is Deadpool? Who, who is Deadpool? What's it about? Deadpool is a, a mercenary who um, finds out he has cancer and then goes under some, well, I suppose, specialist treatment for it, kind of shady, kind of off the books. And it turns out that actually it's uh, he's been turned into a, a, a mutant slave for, yeah. uh, for hire. Yeah. And he doesn't take kindly to this, breaks out. He Fires doesn't look off. great at the end of it, but I think that's actually the uh, the mutant serum, isn't it, that he's yeah. given? And then uh, out he goes out into the world to uh, take revenge. Mm. And, well, he does it. <laughs> he does it, and then and the end. <laughs> the end. Yeah, that's, that's the thing about this movie. It's it's a very basic plot, isn't it? Mm. But there's, there's the, the thing that sets us apart is, and the thing that sets Deadpool apart, is that he's a character that knows he's in a comic book, and he's a character that knows he's in a comic book movie. So he constantly breaks the fourth wall and narrates the movie himself and talks to the audience and comments on the action in a, in a way that we haven't seen before. And I, I think most of that is good. Yeah. Most of that is works pretty well. Mm-hmm. Um, especially the stuff where he um, there's a joke where he, he's being taken to uh, the 
X Mansion. Is yes. what it's called. It's called the yeah, X Mansion. The X Mansion. Yes. And he wonders who's going to be playing the Professor X that he he goes to see, whether it's McAvoy or it's Patrick Stewart. Yes. And that, those moments are very funny. Yeah. Him complaining about the two X Men that he continually gets to meet because of budgetary reasons are you know not the top level ones. This stuff is all really funny. What I find less funny is, um, especially after you have it a number of times, mm. is you know shots of him. You know, masturbating while uh, sniffing a cuddly unicorn. <laughs> but to be fair, Johnny, this is the first superhero film, and perhaps, honestly, the first movie I've ever seen in which you do see the lead character I think that's the second masturbating while <laughs> And about time. I think, it's oh, in the, I think it's in the second Wolverine. That's right. No, Bridge of Spies, don't forget this. <laughs> yeah. A ten-minute scene with Tom Max. No, anyway, no, no. Uh, get that image out of your head. But, I, you know, I, I see what you mean about it being slightly smug and... and and pleased with itself but I, I thought it was just I thought it was really funny and had a really lovely energy to it and I think Ryan Reynolds is born to play this role he is Wade Wilson he is Deadpool he's incredibly funny as you're about to hear soon in our interview and the spoiler special podcast as well and just he's incredibly charismatic and, it, and fair play to him as well for actually being under the mask as Deadpool for a long long time because uh, most A-list stars can't wait to get the mask off. I mean, obviously, famously, Sly Stallone <laughs> just, just threw the helmet away as Judge Dredd within, you know, a few seconds. But, but he actually, he fully commits. He really wants to play this role. And uh, and I can feel that passion coming through. And I know it's probably a bit more conventional. You know, he breaks the fourth wall and he talks to the audience. But I do really feel that the movie could have pushed that. Um, but at the same time, this is, a I think, a $40 million movie, a real gamble on Fox's part and you could probably see them rejecting the more extreme uh, stylistic and experimental moments in, in favour of something that's, that's that's actually fairly conventional but very very funny and sick and twisted I mean it's the thing I, I'm not coming down negatively about no, this no, no. film at all like, on balance you know I'd say go and see it absolutely yeah. like you know it's uh, not like a superhero movie you've seen before yeah. and you know it is in part very funny but you know I yeah. just don't think it did start to grate after a while. I mean, it's not a perfect movie. No, no, by all, by no means. By no means is it perfect. But it, we, you did give it three stars. I do know people who really, really like this movie. I'm one of them. Then there are people who really, really hate it. It's. I think it's one of the more divisive movies. I think it's as divisive as Kingsman uh, was last year, and that's a movie I loved uh, as well. I hated that. <laughs> you hated that. But I love. I love movies that take risks. I love movies that swing for the fences and and. Uh, and don't just uh, present the usual, usual. And this is this is certainly a departure from the norm. Uh, what Stanley Tucci thought of it, I do not know. But maybe one day we'll have on the podcast and we can ask him. That'd be that'd be quite fun. But you gave it three stars, which is, as we always say in the podcast, a recommendation. Deadpool is out now, as indeed is uh, Sulander Two, uh, the return of Ben Stiller as the world's dumbest male model. What did we make of this one, Jane Nuge? I'm going to put you in the spot. Sure. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, I think we we're all very happy to see Ben Stiller put on the blue steel again. Zoolander is, you know, one of those films that over the years has become very beloved. It's one of the th- it's kind of a film that people return to a lot. It's very quotable. And I guess this is... I feel like this film has a similar relationship to Anchorman 2. It's a sort of film that the fans were baying for, and so it sort of came out of that love. And it it's also so similar in the sense that it is... It's kind of not as successful as the first one and it touches the same beats as the first one i i, I quite enjoyed it i think okay. there's a lot to offer I, I i know that a lot of people in the office didn't get on with it as as much 
there are a lot of jokes that don't land. I mm-hmm. think it's it's a patchy success rate for jokes. But there's a lot to like. I was laughing consistently through this film. A lot of that has to do with uh, Kristen Wiig, who is not in this film enough. No, she's not. Um, but whenever she's on screen, I was tears of laughter. The, her accent is amazing. <laughs> I, I don't even know what country she's from, and I don't care. I, I don't think she knows or no, cares. No, either. But it's it's there's something quite refreshing. It's a very '90s style of comedy. I, I, I realised the original came out in 2001, but it's but it's uh, it's got that sort of big brash, goofy, um, stupid, dumb, slightly self-aware sense. Uh, there's there's lots of just ridiculous, absurd set pieces. I, you know, I, I mean, it's it's perhaps not something that you will return to time and time again like you do with the original. Perhaps it's not something that uh, demands a trip to the cinema. But it's yeah. it's. Um, I think I think there's a lot to like there. I I, I laughed. I don't think it's as as quotable. No, uh, remotely as the original, or as as clever, or as funny, or as as likable as the original. I think there's it's it's quite unlikable in a in a weird way. Um, I was disappointed by it. I I loved the the first film. Um, I, I was really really looking forward to this. I liked the trailers. I liked everything around it. The marketing was quite clever. Uh, but and I laughed from time to time, but I didn't really belly laugh. There's a couple of nice moments, but for me, it almost felt like. Ben Stiller's forgotten how to play Derek Zoolander, which, given that it's Zoolander too, is a bit of a problem. But yeah, I thought I thought Kristen Wiig's fantastic. She's hilarious when she's on screen. She's not on screen enough. A uh, bit of a shame. And I think when Will Ferrell comes back into it as Mugatu, um, you have to wait a long time for Will Ferrell to be in this movie. And when he shows up, he uh, injects it with with an energy and a, uh, a, a freshness and. Uh, and an anger, a comedic anger that is lacking from the, the first hour or so, and uh, he rescues it for me. But uh, but yeah, I quote Zoolander all the time. Uh, I love that film, um, and I don't think I'm going to have the same affection for this. But there you go. But you know, again, as you say, you you thought otherwise. Holly Richards, who thought who wrote the review, uh, also liked it as well. Three stars, which is what we gave the first Zoolander. In fairness, so over time, who knows? This one may grow to become a, a cult classic Johnny's shaking his head he doesn't agree he doesn't think this is going to grow at all uh, no it was uh, it was rubbish <laughs> <laughs> just cutting through all the crap you know it might be alright you never know three stars is a recommendation no rubbish uh, right so um, we don't have a lot of time because literally we're going to be throwing out the booth so, so sorry about this we're not giving short shrift to the rest of this week's releases they just well yes we are so uh, also out this week is Will Smith battling the NFL as a doctor with a conscience uh, in concussion uh, we gave that just two stars uh, didn't quite work uh, there's also Tilda Swinton Ray Fiennes Dakota Johnson and Matthias Schoenartz in A Bigger Splash uh, uh, two four people come together on a on an island and murky things happen uh, and also naked Ray Fiennes if that's if that floats your boat uh, and that's uh, three stars so it didn't quite make a big splash that one uh, also <coughs> we have Eli Roth's Cannibal Holocaust Green Inferno which um, weirdly enough I'm pretty sure we had Eli Roth on the podcast almost two years ago talking about this movie and it's been tangled up in rights issues ever since and it's taken a long long time to come out just in time for Valentine's Day if you want to see people being ripped apart and having their entrails eaten um, if you are a horror fan or a gore hound as I am uh, I really like this film 
Uh, go and see it. Uh, what else is out this week? Uh, we have the two stars, Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, in which an all-star Brit cast uh, tackle zombies in a <laughs> version of the Jane Austen classic uh, as retold by Seth Graham Smith. And then, of course, how can we not mention Alvin and the Chipmunks, the road chip, that got two stars as well. So a ton, a ton of films out this week for Valentine's Day. Sorry we only had time to talk about two of them in depth. We are being kicked out. But quickly, let's not end there. Let's end on a high. Uh, with Deadpool out this week, uh, I caught up with its star, producer and guardian angel Ryan Reynolds to talk about the movie's long road to the big screen and lots of creative swearing because Deadpool is the king of creative swearing. This is a very short and, yes, relatively sweary interview. The C-bomb does get dropped a couple of times. John is going to bleep it out for those of you who have sensitive dispositions. But nevertheless, beware. Uh, Buyer, beware. Uh, There is more Ronalds to come in our Deadpool Spider special, which is hopefully going to be up on Monday, but maybe Tuesday because we haven't recorded it yet. Um, So... Check out for that, and there's, there's, yeah, there's more Ryan Reynolds there as well. Uh, but for now, enjoy Ryan Rodney Reynolds. Uh, we're <coughs> delighted to be joined on the Empire Podcast by Deadpool himself, Ryan Reynolds. How are you, sir? Well, thank you very much. It's very nice to be here. I'm doing well. It's a pleasure mm-hmm. to have you here. Uh, let's, <laughs> let's go R-rated right from the off. Yeah, your swearing, yes, is astonishing. Yeah, and a, I, th- yeah. I think in this movie you come up with stuff that challenges cock chocolate and thunder from Blade Trinity. It, kind of, I think so. Yeah, there's a, it's a swearing has always been something I've 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 loved to express creativity within that. Uh, I think of it as like a bit of a sport. It'd be nice if swearing could be called a genre. Do you think um, if swearing were an Olympic sport, you would I would do very well. Mm. I do I do think I would do quite well. Is there a secret? Because it's not something you're proud of. It's not like I you know. I don't know but, about that. I'm Irish. I'm quite proud of it. It comes I'm, in I, handy. Yeah. Once it in does a while. come in handy. Yeah. But is there is there a secret? Do you go on a course? Do you have to <laughs> learn? I mean, there's a combination of words and nouns and verbs and adjectives. Is there? Yeah, it's as much about the the sort of the the push sound out of the mouth as it is the meaning of the words. You know, um, you know when you call somebody a like a wheezing bag of dick tips, that that flows off the tongue well. You know, more more so than you know. You jerk. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's yeah. just weak. Yeah. You have to elaborate because it, it can't just be you bag of dick tips. It no. has to be you wheezing. Bag yes, of you, dick you you really yeah. you have to, you have to editorialize the whole thing. You see, you have to have a you have to have a beginning, middle, and end. You have to have a little story in there. And we have to we have to get a real like visual sense of what's happening to this bag of dick tips. There's like something really bad. It's wheezing in there. There's something. Ooh, it's got maybe got a little cold. I don't know where yeah. is it. Yeah. So cock juggling uh, thunder was improvised, wasn't it? Yes, it was, yes. How much improvisation was on this movie? For example, I'm going to throw you my favorite uh, swear. Oh, okay. I'd well, I, I, I love to know if this is mine or, or okay. pre-written by another person. Uh, this is going to be interesting to find okay. out. Okay. You shit-spackled Muppet Fart. Mine. On the day? No. No. Pre-planned. <laughs> Do you have a book? Yeah. Of stuff? <laughs> There's a, no, you just kind of, you know, you just kind of put that in you know you just yeah you, know, you put it in your little note margin in the script and you know see if it see if it flies <laughs> um do you find now you've made this movie that you break the fourth wall at home <laughs> no no that's it's just drywall there there's no <laughs> there's no breaking it it's uh, yeah it's just drywall it's just something that happens yeah, naturally yeah. um you've had an affinity for this character for a long long time and obviously you played uh, Wade Wilson once before, yeah. um, I actually interviewed you for X Men Origins Wolverine, and you did a really good job at the time of masking the pain that you must have been feeling. Yes, do you feel it in a way that this movie is 
setting things right. Is that was that what you wanted to do from the off? Yeah, I, I didn't want to set things right. I always had the same objective. I always wanted to make the most faithful Deadpool adaptation that anyone could ever conceive of. And and mm. and you know when you're dealing with studio politics, that's a that's a big machine and that's a tough thing to to deal with. So. Uh, when I was told about Wolverine, they said, do you want to play Wade Wilson? And nobody really mentioned Deadpool. They said Wade Wilson. Um, <laughs> so I said, okay, yeah, I do. Um, wh- is Deadpool going to show up or how are we going to do that? What's what's happening with that? And there was, it was during the, the Hollywood writer's strike. Mm-hmm. So there was no way to amend scripts or anything like that. So my, all my dialogue for Wade Wilson, it just was written in a margin. It just said, Wade Wilson shows up, talks really fast, annoys people. So I, I was kind of left to my own devices to just sort of come up with all the dialogue for Wade Wilson in 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 that movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then I guess the studio executive said, "Well, you know, naturally now we have to sew his mouth shut because he's you know done this sort of thing, and he doesn't know the canon, he doesn't know the sort of history of Deadpool or anything. Like that. He doesn't know that he's about to, to sure. anger a you know a, a, a legion of." highly militarized fans of this character and <laughs> and, uh, and I could certainly couldn't talk him out of it and yeah. um, so you know there really wasn't anything I could do you know and and it was sad you know it was kind of sad but I, did, I, I thought the, the promise or the carrot that was always being dangled was you'll get to make your version of it if you mm. do this role and I of course I love Hugh Jackman who's I think probably he's he's single-handedly made comic books cool again when he ushered in Wolverine way way back in the day and you know, I think he's played it for 16 years or something like yeah. that. I mean, it's a yeah. long time. He's he is uh, he's an icon. So you know, I really wanted to be the, playing in the sandbox with him as well. And you know, I think everybody was having a tough time in that film just because it was a, mm. there was no 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 writers available or or any that we could use. So. so how do you how do you think of the character now? Do you think you've played Deadpool twice or once? How how do you how do you look back at that? I feel like I played Deadpool once and a half. I feel I feel like I feel <laughs> I do feel like like there's elements in 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 Wolverine Origins where you see a bit of. Deadpool, you know, but in order to really like be expansive with Deadpool and, and give people the authentic Deadpool that they that they not only deserve but need is mm. a different question. You know, you need to have a rating system that you're allowed to be flexible in, and and that's why we rated R in in, in mm. the states and and actually in the UK we're we're 15, which is <laughs> I thought was kind of amazing. They, they let us be 15. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I mean, in China they've rated us fuck you. Uh, so we're, we're not, unfortunately not showing in China. And I, I make jokes about it, but I'm actually really sad about that because I would love the Chinese people to get to see Deadpool. I think they'd really enjoy him. But. I think it would blow their minds. Yeah. Over here, uh, weirdly, I think the sex might be the bigger problem. Mm, yeah. If you'd had more sex. Yeah. Well, we do uh, have some... There's some sex. Athletic obviously. sex in there's the movie. There's athletic uh, sex. Yeah, yeah. If it had been, you know... Extremely graphic. You would have had an eighteen, but over yeah. here, swearing—that's absolutely fine. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're like, I love that though. I uh, love that. It's great, but but at the same time, you talked about the studio politics. When I mean, did you have problems, both yourself and Tim Miller, uh, with convincing Fox to go as crazy as you guys actually go in this movie? It was an ongoing discussion for you know Tim. Tim Miller is the last kind of part of the core group to to join. Um, it mm. started off I was alone, and then it started off with, then it was me and Rhett. Rhett Reese and Paul Wernick, who are the writers of Zombieland, we we all paired up and started developing this script six years ago, uh, and then Tim joined in, and and it was always a back and forth. There was, a, there was a, at one point we wrote a PG thirteen version of the script because they wouldn't, they just absolutely would not discuss an R rated version of this. 
Um, five minutes long? What was that? Well, yeah, it was, no, it was actually tough because we had to retrofit all of this action and everything to make it PG-13. So it's a really frustrating uh, 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 position to be in because I just thought, if you're going to do Deadpool, you've got to do him. This, you've you've got to let him be free. And, like, yeah. you know, he's a, he's like, he's a fish. He needs to swim. Let him go. <laughs> uh, so it, it, was, it was a tough slog to get to the place where, where they said yes. And you know what, really, they, well, it has nothing to do with me. It has nothing to do with Tim or Red or Paul or anyone. It's all the fans. When the leak test footage was, you know, suddenly on the internet and, you know, within 24 hours there was just a tsunami of, of mail and, and vitriol and everything else you can think of pointed at the studio saying, make this damn movie now. Then that was when, that was a game changer for us. That was yeah. when the, the studio called, basically within 24 hours we had a green light and we were, we were at a date. So. Amazing. Which had, of course, that footage had uh, a copy of Empire in it. It sure did. The X Men Origins. It sure did. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> uh, yeah. Empire, Empire. There's a little Empire Easter egg in uh, in uh, in the feature film right now. I haven't seen it yet. I've seen the film, obviously, but I didn't see the Easter. Oh, egg. yeah. You got to look closely. Oh, look closely. Little, little Empire sh- Easter egg. Well, I wish you all all the best. Thank Bye. you, Chris. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank, Thank you, so you very much. much. Pleasure. Thank you. And that's it for this week's Empire Podcast. Join us next week for episode 199. Christ Almighty, we're getting closer to our live show at the Prince Charles Cinema on February 24th, our 200th edition live in front of a studio audience. That is scary. If you are a Hollywood A-lister and you wish to appear in that podcast, do get in touch uh, at podcast at empireonline.com. Just, you know, just come around. Just come along. It'll be fine. We're more, more than happy to have you. Um, but next week, we're going to be joined by Anthony Mackey and Aaron Paul, the stars of Triple Nine. So that's very, very exciting. Until then, it's goodbye from John Nugent. Cheery bye. It's goodbye from our newbie, Johnny Pyle. Goodbye. I didn't know we were doing that bit. <laughs> really? Yeah, I didn't you know. You don't read that far down. I know we never listened to this bit. It's fine. Goodbye. <laughs> How was it for you? Uh, that last bit? Yeah. Oh, I'd like to re record the goodbye bit, but uh, never mind. <laughs> no, can't do it. Can't do it. And it's goodbye for me. I'm off to re record my goodbye bit. See you next week. Bye. And it's goodbye for me. I'm off to re record my goodbye bit. See you next week. Goodbye. And it's goodbye for me. I'm off to re record my goodbye bit. Yeah, that's better. See you next week. Bye.